Play. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Where have I been, guys? We are back. You've Where been, have you been? You've been dead. <laughs> Drink some dead. Hennessy with apple juice and pink cups. What up, guys? We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR. The voice of Harlem was popping Facebook Live. Where have I been, guys? I don't you know. Tell us. Why should I tell you guys? I mean, you were like in a haunted mansion, it looks like, according to your oh, Snapchat. Oh, yeah, yeah. So last week Sunday, why I didn't come to the show was because I had two things to go to, a housing conference and then um, an organizer training. So I left Sunday. You were heavy quotes working? Were uh, you in Barbados? There's no such thing as fun in Albany. Were you wearing a bikini while you did this? No, but I was laying in the bed with the Jesus cross right over my yeah, head. Yeah, literally. I'm I telling know, Marilyn, I saw Marilyn, he's cheating on you with Jesus. I was. I stayed in the monastery in um, Albany. We're technically in Latham. That's not Jesus. Um, no, That's but Buddha. It, there were, no, no. no. <laughs> A nun house. Listen, <laughs> Jew. We we don't know of these things, but I, no, there's there's a monastery. Yeah. yeah, there's a monastery there. Like the sweetest old white women you will ever meet, but like everywhere is pictures of Jesus, and there are crosses every single where. Oh, okay, exactly. And I had to take the cross off of my wall to sleep comfortably because I felt like Jesus was watching my every dream, which was really weird. Um, and also the hallways were like long and dark and quiet. So that's yeah, why I was that's old. A little week. creepy. That is why we're happy you're alive yes. and with us this Sunday. Yes, yes. I almost didn't make it, guys. And the Wi-Fi works until 10 o'clock, and then all of a sudden it's gone. And cell phone reception was really shaky. But I had a good time. How about you guys? What did you, you do this week? Uh, what did I do? I was on trial this week. It was fun. Uh, I was basically just working the entire week, um, saying important things in a courtroom. Being an important person. Um, yeah, nice. you know, like always, always. Um, but anyways, my name's Alyssa Fuchs. I'm your uh, legal correspondent. Later on, I'll tell you about gerrymandering. Um, the Supreme Court's back in session, so I'm really excited about that because I'm really obsessed with the Supreme Court. Um, Are you? I we am. had no idea. No clue. Um, by the way, SNL was really good last night. Kate McKinnon played Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, yeah. during were, uh, Weekend were, Update. Was your like, nerd brain exploding um, out of your... <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's done it before. I love when she does it. It's really funny. She does this, like, she'll be like... Oh, that's a hot Ginsburg. Yeah. And then, like, get up and start dancing. So it's really funny. Um, anyways, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Alyssa Fuchs. Um, that's Alyssa with an I. Or on Twitter at Alyssa Fuchs. Or you can leave a comment on the fan page, Politically Preposterous. Um, so that's cool. that's me. Yeah. This week was, you know, work and more work and more work, which was fun. And late trying, night. Trying to keep up with what the president says. Con- yeah, oh, God, well, I've stopped trying. Um, but I'm Jackie Cohen, political correspondent for the show. And you can follow me. Follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Instagram at Jackie Cohen. That's J-A-Q-I-C-O-H-E-N. And, yeah, I know. Like, I can't even between, like, his comments on Puerto Rico and in response to this. Paper towels? Oh. Need some paper towels I can't. That? It's like, I can't handle the level of anger i feel and just disgust when i see him or hear his voice it's just very triggering at this point and you guys saw that video of him handing out not even handing out paper towels to um hurricane victims in puerto rico he was like lobbing them like basketballs to the crowd having a great time so mature so much his face kind of gives like a visceral reaction yeah kind of like the way your face does to me uh burn guys you know how i can tell that selena is not here this week because the introduction has been super like not the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> so let's <laughs> sorry, Selena. 
This is Stanley. You can follow me on Twitter at Stan Fritz. You can follow me on Instagram at Stan Fritz. You can follow me on Snapchat at Dark Skin Swindle, where I will show you pictures of Jesus Christ looking you in your eyes. Oh, good. And of course, this is Let Your Voice Be Heard, and we have a great show for you. But before I tell you about the show, guys, let's do some proper introductions. I did. We already did ours. You, you did? Were, oh, it was just yeah. me? Yeah, yeah, it was just it was you. Just you. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I was updating my I Love Stanley's Jesus Stanley's still asleep at the wheel. <laughs> a little bit, guys. But anyways, we are talking about some cool things. Well, I wouldn't say cool, because the first segment we are talking about. Heavy. A heavy, heavy, heavy. One of the worst mass shootings in U.S. history. The worst. Fit, no, no. There have been some mass shootings of black people that have been larger. Oh, that's, yeah. So um, they, we just don't talk about those things. But um, Of course not. But 59 people dead. 500 injured from a Las Vegas shooting that happened, and it was done by a lone wolf man who loved country music. But Jackie will help us unpack that segment later on. And then when we're done talking about that, we got the news roundup where we'll talk some more about Donald Trump shooting some jump shot paper towels and what the mayor of Puerto of San Juan Puerto Rico did to play him. And then we'll move on to Indigenous Peoples Day. What's that? Well, it's the day you should be celebrating tomorrow if we weren't so silly and still celebrating Columbus Day in New York State. And I will explain to you the origin of Columbus Day, um, why Christopher Columbus is a person that we should be thinking about, and the truth about him, as well as how in modern times we Columbus the crap out of neighborhoods now. And then we will wrap it up. And Alyssa, tell us what's in store for the quickie. Uh, so gerrymandering, um, why it's problematic. Anyway, there's a big case that's going up to the Supreme Court. Uh, they heard it last, oh, I'm sorry, is at the Supreme Court. It was heard last week, the oral arguments. Uh, it's called Gill versus Whitford. It's all about whether or not Wisconsin Republicans engaged in gerrymandering so extreme as to violate the Constitution. Um, it is going to be a really big and important decision because the outcome either way is going to potentially affect elections moving forward. Uh, so I'll tell you all about that later on during the Quiggy. Awesome. Stan. All right, guys. So we have a big show ahead up for us. And, you know, before we continue, though, Jackie, I heard the trains giving us problems again this week. No, we're why not. Why did you break them? No, Tell us why, Jackie. No, stop bullying me. Stanley likes to cyberbully me all over. Smear my name all over this place. It's ridiculous. Um, don't do that. Please don't do that. <laughs> don't do I what? Have nothing else to say. Don't smear my name. Um, so if the bus is screwed up, uh, you should tweet at the bus. I do that. I'm telling you, it works. Yeah, tweet out your elected um, officials. And yes. then I make sure that I also hashtag like Gail Brewer and Ben Kalos and a whole bunch of other people. And then nobody does anything. Yeah. because Alyssa, Oh, and the governor, because apparently he's in charge. Uh, Alyssa's right. If the bus is acting up or the train is acting up, just at mention like the MTA or your elected official. And you can find them at J.A. QI. Shut so, up. Anyways, guys, we do have to go on a quick break. When we come back, we'll be talking about the Las Vegas shooting. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. I am looking at the computer screen straight ahead of me, and I see three boxes. The big box, the medium box, and the littlest box. Just like in the studio, Stanley is the big box, Jackie is the medium box, and Alyssa is the little box. And we are here to tell you about all the great things happening in the community, including things that are not so great, but white people like to act like they didn't happen. <laughs> and because I am tired of talking about white people, and also because I've been warned several times. I'm going to let Jackie do it. <laughs> okay. Um, so some heavy news. Obviously, we've been inundated with it this past week. So um, in case you don't know, in case you were away or living, had under a, a rock. living under a rock the past week, lucky you to get to avoid this horrific news. Um, about a week ago, um, a man named Stephen Paddock, a resident of the Las Vegas suburb 
Barria, um, uh, Nevada native, um, opened fire on a crowd of people attending the Route 91 Harvest Festival that was being held at the Mandalay Bay Hotel in Las Vegas. Uh, Paddock shot at the window of his hotel room on the 32nd floor of the hotel, killing at least 59 people and injuring more than 500 people at the event in a very short window of time using the weapons that he had. Um, this incident is being called now one of the worst, if not the worst, mass shooting in modern American history, overtaking the Pulse nightclub shooting, um, where I believe 49 people were killed. Um, and these are mass shootings that just keep happening, each one seemingly more horrific than the last. And I want to open it up to you guys and ask just what were your, I mean, it, you know, obviously shock and horror, but what were your initial reactions when you heard this news? I mean, this was something I got a, a New York Times alert uh, waking up on Monday morning and I almost couldn't believe it. Well, white people are being white again. <laughs> I, I don't, I didn't have a reaction. I don't have reactions anymore to this. It's just kind of like, a, oh, there was a mass shooting. Okay. Uh, do I know anyone? I had a couple of friends in Vegas. So I hit them up to make sure they were safe. They were. And move on. We're going to forget about this. Probably two more mass shootings have happened since then. Um, I mean, yeah, listen, my reaction was one where, like, I wasn't very surprised. Um, I mean, it's like I woke up, I looked at my phone, and I went, what else is new? Right. Um, which is sort of like a better reaction than Stanley had. But, um, you know, and it's like, yeah, uh, we've become so desensitized to this happening. And then, of course, I do have a friend that lives in Vegas. So I contacted her, make sure she was all right. She was OK. Um, and then my second reaction was, uh, oh, 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 they're definitely not going to treat this man the way they normally treat people of color and Muslims when things like this happen. And then I know we're going to talk about that later on, so I won't jump the gun on that. Um, but I just knew that the uh, the reaction from people on the right uh, was going to be such hypocrisy uh, that I was like, I think I need to sign off the internet right now before I get in a fight with somebody on right. the internet prior to nine o'clock in the morning. Right, which is so weird because when you think about it, like what are we arguing about? This is such a horrific event that took place and there were so many people affected by it. I mean, there were over 500 victims of the shooting and yet, um, you know, there's still debate, which is unbelievable to me that there's still debate over what needs to happen here and whether or not there needs to be stricter gun regulations. I mean, we're the only country in the world that has gun violence like this um, because of our lax gun laws in this country. And, you know, in Nevada um, in particular, in Nevada, gun owners don't need a permit to buy or possess a rifle or a shotgun or a handgun. And it's very easy to buy machine guns or silencers that are banned in other states. So do you think that th these lax laws had any influence over, you know, led to the shooter's ability to to commit this act? Absolutely. Listen, the only reason that this, you can shoot this many people in this high volume is because these guns are available. And I, I don't really care about the Second Amendment because I think that argument is stupid. But why would anyone need an automatic or a semi-automatic weapon? Why would you need a, a weapon that can shoot out multiple rounds all at once? And people always want to kind of like divert the conversation to mental health. But the reason that people who want to shoot other people have access to guns that help them or make it easier is because we will not regulate it. Right. I mean, yeah. listen, look, when this guy went to go buy the guns, um, like they interviewed a lot of the people that he bought the, and they were there, that he at the stores where he bought the guns. And these people were all like, 
He just seemed like a very nondescript guy, came in, said he was interested in getting back into hunting. Um, But, you know, the more interesting thing about that is this guy purchased 43 guns over the course of the past couple of months, and it did not raise any red flags, not at all. And so there's two parts to that. Number one, there's the part where we have to discuss whether or not there should be some kind of mechanism where if you buy over a certain number of guns uh, in a certain time window that it is flagged, that somebody at least comes to look into it, number one. And two, then the second part of that goes back to what I was mentioning before, which is if somebody with a Muslim sounded name went and bought 40 guns over the course of a three month period, I can almost guarantee that person would have been flagged by the FBI as like, oh, Omar Mohammed just went and bought 40 guns. What is Omar Mohammed planning? And, uh, you know, like so like there's a twofold response to that. There's both the political aspect in terms of like regulations and laws. Do we want to create some kind of system? Um, And two, this this racist element that we know exists. Right. So I think that's an interesting question that comes into play. Like we, you know, as our most laws in our country, um, they are enforced disproportionately whether or not you're white or black, right, or a person of color. And do you think that stricter gun laws will even be able to prevent something like this from happening because this was a crime perpetrated by a white man, right? Do you think that these laws, even if they are put into place to restrict um, purchasing of guns or, you know, these types of semi-automatic, automatic weapons, bump stocks, which we'll talk about more um, later on in the segment, do you think that even if we have strict regulations put in place federally, they will make a difference because many of these shootings have been committed by white men? Um, I mean, it depends what those regulations look like. So until I actually see a proposal, it's really hard to say. Um, That said, I I don't. I, th- I think we have a need for better gun laws, but I don't think gun laws are going to sh- stop all shootings. Um, it's just like we have drug laws and they obviously don't really work in terms of that. And it, it's different. They're, the arguments are, are they have differences, but they have similarities there. No law will stop any bad thing from happening right. all the time. That said. Um, What I do think could have not prevented the shooting but lessened the number of casualties and the number of people injured is magazine limits. So here in New York, under the New York State Safe Act, it is against the law to have a magazine that has more than seven bullets. What they have found is, um, and sure, people say, oh, well, he could have bought 40 magazines. That's true, um, but he would have had to reload them. And then people will say, oh, well, in this situation, he had all the guns set up in the hotel room and ready to go, so maybe he didn't have to reload them. Um, Okay, that may be true also, but if you had 40 guns that only had seven magazines, you know, seven bullets in each magazine, then you're talking about 40 times seven versus 40 guns that have 50, 60 bullets in each magazine. You know, you're talking about a whole lot more firepower. Um, So I don't think laws will prevent all mass shootings, but at the same time, I don't think we can sit back and not do anything. And I say this as somebody who actually likes guns and shoots say, guns, right. um, which is sort of a different position than Stanley is in. And me. Um, <laughs> and, and Jackie is in. Um, I have experience with guns. Um, I've shot machine guns, actually, in Vegas in a controlled setting. Um, I've shot handguns. I've shot semi-automatic guns. Um, you know, I don't know if necessarily... Um, Banning all, you know, banning certain types of guns uh, is going to change anything. But I do think that there are certain measures that we can take um, that could prevent or at least lessen uh, the number of casualties in these types of tragedies. And I'm so sick of it being an all or nothing solution because we don't need to have an all or nothing solution. You know, just because not one law is not going to prevent all mass shootings doesn't mean we shouldn't do anything at all. Yeah. Stanley. 
I don't I don't want any guns anywhere. Yeah, I mean, by <laughs> passing this gun law, you're not gonna stop all guns because we have enough high like high propensity guns out there already that it's it's people will still have access to it. Just ask the kids in Chicago or the friends that I have in Brownsville who have bazookas. The guns will hit the streets somehow. But that doesn't mean you don't try to make it harder for them to have access to these guns. I, I think that the bigger problem is is that the way that we value these things because if a brown person mm-hmm. put comes try to tries to like come through an airport with a sock bomb, after that we're talking about making all kinds of laws to stop that brown person from doing something. If a black person walks past a cop and says at the police, we're trying to pass a whole bunch of laws so that that black person can't talk to the cops. But then when guns that kills everybody is getting in the way, is is making it easier for people to kill people, we're not having serious conversations. Right, and you know. We what's probably most important in actual gun regulation is the ability to do research to look at the link of access to guns and violence and suicide. And but other we things. have the research, right? We know but, that this is the only country where this happens this regularly because of our access to guns, right? So the research is in. We know, and it doesn't matter. I think how how often we have these conversations. You know, we always after after each one of these incidents, we say, and not even because this is the, I think, 273rd mass shooting in our country since January 1st, 2017. Okay. So mass shootings happen all the time, obviously not to this scale, but this is something that is so frequent in our country to the point that we don't even talk about it. We don't even know how often it's happening. There's been almost as many mass shootings in our country this year as there's been days of this year. Right. And so I think that the research is in, but there's, you know, there's this mi- literally militant resistance to enacting any kind of meaningful gun control reform. The that NRA l- needs to be marked as a terrorist organization. <laughs> no, I'm, you think I'm joking. I mean, no, I don't think you're joking. I know you're not joking. I'm serious. Like, they're, they're out there literally spouting out hatred, making videos, attacking, like, progressive people I know. and liberals and people of color. I know. There are PSAs this year have been actually terrifying. But, like, yeah. it's not just about guns. It's about money, as we can right. see. Like, you know, when you talk about the politicians and the fact that nothing gets done, um, you know, if nothing was going to get done after Sandy Hook, then nothing's going to get done as far as I'm concerned. I'm actually kind of surprised that the NRA has come out uh, against these bump stock right, devices, which, we'll devices which I know we're going to talk about later on. Um, but, you know, at the same time, like it's money lines the pockets of these politicians who want to get reelected. And the NRA has a lot of money and they use fear tactics to get their members to continue to donate money um, to them. So there's obviously a lot of money in play here. Um, and that's something that we can't ignore. That said, just to go back to the initial point, I mean, not only is it a situation where this happens all the time and nothing gets done about it. It's it's so bad that the Onion, which is a satirical I newspaper, I know. literally publishes an article every single time there's a mass shooting um, and it go, the article goes back to uh, May of 2014 and it's entitled No Way to Prevent This Says Only Nation Where This Regularly right. Happens. Exactly. Um, so, you know, we obviously know that guns, as much as I personally like guns and think don't think, me personally, don't think that they should be banned, but do think they need to be controlled, we know that guns are the issue. Um, you know, like Stanley said, one airplane bomber and now nobody can bring liquids through the airport, um, but 50 mass shootings in a, you know, in a couple right. months span and, and still nothing gets done. And that comes down to money at the end of the day. Well, and also it comes down to control and power over, over certain groups of people. Like we look at Absolutely. the history of the 
Black Panther Party in California, right, who um, their members showed up, um, you know, at protests armed because they didn't trust that the police would do the right thing. And all of a sudden you saw, you know, there were these black gun owners in California and we started to see stricter gun regulations um, in the state of California to prevent Black Panther members from, you know, owning and operating guns legally. Um, so I think Stanley is absolutely right. And so that gets to my next point. Like this is a white man, right? 64 years old. He was a retired accountant, um, pretty well off. You know, he had a lot of money. He had transferred a lot of money to an account, I believe, in the Philippines um, prior yep. to this event. Um, but he was, you know, a well-off guy with a you know long career of being an accountant. Um, like Alyssa said, there were no like alarms being sent off by people selling him these weapons. I mean, what do you think? I, you know, I asked this knowing the answer, but what do you think the reaction would be um, or how things would change if he was a person of color? They probably would have bombed Brooklyn. <laughs> Come on, well, Brooklyn is a white town now. Yeah, what what, what do black say. people live in New York now? Nowhere. They probably would have bombed, I don't know, a rap concert. This is, no white people go there too. Shoot, I don't know where you find black people anymore. But if this was a person of color, in an African American, yeah, they'd bomb the yeah. prisons. There you go. Or even like uh, someone from some with you know who was practicing the Muslim religion, the reaction would be totally different. They'd be passing all these new laws. They'd be putting out targets talking about how horrible this person was. They'd be calling him a monster. Well, it literally is true, right? When we look at the way <laughs> the response, I mean, like Trump would ban. Put a ban right. well, against that group of people from entering the country, first of all. Yeah, I mean, that also speaks to the political the political reaction and reality, which is, you know, when this happened, the first thing that the right said was, don't politicize this tragedy. Don't politicize they this tragedy. They say that tragedy. every time. They say that all the time. And they're like, it's not time to talk about gun laws. Okay, well, then when is it time to talk about gun laws? Because according to the right, it's never time to talk about gun laws. They're like, hey, you want to talk about gun laws today? Nah, come back next week. Then you come back next week. You want to talk about gun laws today? Eh, come back next month. That said, as you guys just both pointed out, if it would have been a Muslim who committed this mass shooting literally within 10 minutes of the news breaking, Donald Trump would have been on Twitter saying this is why we need the travel ban. This is why we need to build the wall. This is why we need this. Like they would have said this is like why we need to defeat ISIS. It would have been all about ISIS, 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 terrorism, 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 Muslims. That is politicizing it. So there's obviously a double standard, which is, uh, you know, according to the right, they are allowed to politicize a travel all the time and call it Muslims and terrorisms and we need to do X, Y, and Z but the left is never allowed to say we need better gun laws whenever something like this happens. That is a double standard. Let's talk about the racial frame of this now because when these lax gun laws allow for more guns to make it into communities like the one that I grew up in. Right. Because we have strict gun laws in New York State but in other parts of the country, Grata, Virginia, you can get a gun pretty easily and they bring them down here. So now what's happening is a lot of people who they can't get jobs, they can't have economic development, they have a, they're living in police states, you know what they can have access to? Guns. Right, and right. Like, how many people are... Di- you, you, Republicans always want to default towards black-on-black crime, right? Yeah, right. You know one of the fastest ways to help decrease killings in those black communities besides giving them jobs and opportunity? Cut off the access to the guns. Right. I mean, listen, on this point, I can actually give you some numbers right now, which is uh, the Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms Bureau of the United States government uh, traced the source of over 170,000 guns that were used in crimes in the U.S. Uh, this goes this study goes back in 2014. Over a quarter of those guns, 28 percent of them were uh, used to commit crimes in states other than the ones they were purchased in. Um, and then they have a map that shows which states um, have the most export of, of guns. Um, so it's Indiana with one. 
1,976 guns that were originally purchased in Indiana that were involved in crimes out of state. Ohio, um, 1,806 guns. Pennsylvania, 2,053 guns. And then the three other states with the largest export numbers, the largest out of all, were Georgia, 3,252 guns. Florida, 2,551 guns. And of course, Texas, 2,805 guns. So you literally have all these red states where gun laws are super lax um, and uh, like large numbers of guns that are leaving those states, going to states that have less gun crimes um, and being used in crimes in those states. So, guys, if you want to call in with a question or a comment, please give us a call at 212-650-6903. Again, that is 212-650-6903. You can also leave a comment on Facebook Live. Let your voice be, I mean, Facebook.com slash Let Your Voice Be Heard Radio, Politically Preposterous. If you have comments, if you have words, let us know. And we're still tweeting live as we speak. I want to know what your thoughts are because I know someone told me that we need these guns to protect ourselves and that we shouldn't go after the NRA. Wow. I mean, you know, and we'll we'll talk about um, in a bit what the NRA's response has been. I think we have to go to a break um, really soon. But yeah, I mean, that's something, you know, after a lot of these shootings we've heard, I mean, especially after I will never forget watching Wayne LaPierre's um, speech after what happened at Sandy Hook when um, an elementary school was shot up. Obviously, we all know what happened on the day um, where he said, you know, the only way to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. And I can't imagine in any instance this guy was shooting with um, a legally modified gun using a bump stock to basically turn his gun into an automatic, um, you know, machine gun rifle. From Um, 32 flights up. From 32 flights up. I don't really know if these people were armed how that would have made much of a difference but i mean that's the stance of the nra so well guys that was depressing we're going on a quick break when we come back jackie will help us come back from the sadness or maybe she won't and we are back on let your voice be heard on 90.3 fm whc are the voice of harlem this is stanley fritz i'm here with Alyssa fuchs i am also here with the host of this segment jackie mother loving cohen and if you are looking for selena hill she is on another workcation this time in california probably sipping mojitos with carrie hilson Listen, I hope she is. She works hard. Selena deserves no, a... No, <laughs> I want to hate. No, no. Jackie, you want to hate on it? We have to go to Albany. Yeah, that's... She, <laughs> you have to go to Kingston I mean, like, and like... To be well, fair, nice. whose choice was that? Nobody said you had to get involved in New York politics to this go to Albany oh, all God. the time. Oh, God, I mean, yeah. you could be like a lobbyist in D.C. You could go to D.C. Just, just saying. Oh, yeah. I, like, I, I could like also be an astronaut and go to the moon. Exactly. I mean, there's a lot of things I could do. See? But you know, Well, I, I hear that Tesla's looking for people to go to Mars, so maybe you want to get in on that. Oh, uh, that's a hard pass. But anyway, <laughs> so before we went to break, um, Stanley got into a little bit um, and discussing the access to guns in states where there are much stricter regulations, specifically in New York, we have pretty strict regulations um, about buying and, you know, possessing a gun in New York. Um, But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's hard to access a gun in New York State. And Stanley mentioned a little bit um, before that, you know, growing up the way where you did in Brooklyn, it wasn't necessarily impossible to access a gun. Can you speak to that a little bit more? Yeah, anyway, I could have a gun. I had a gun. My dad had a gun. And none of those guns were clean. Right. We didn't go get our licenses or anything like that. I had a, without dry snitching, I had someone <laughs> that I knew where you could go to his house and under his bed, he had a box full of guns. Right. And you could get a, a gun And they were not really from ch- New York, presumably. No, they were not. No. But like, if you wanted a clean gun, you had to pay like a lot of money for it. But if you wanted, like, if you were willing to like, take a gun that was dirty. So what that means is like, it's a gun where someone has shot somebody else with it. 
So if the cops find it because of the serial number, you might get the, whatever the, those shots did to someone else. You might get those charges put on you. You can get it for really cheap. And I have a couple of friends. I have one friend in particular who um, he had a dirty gun. He shot somebody, Shot the, didn't kill the person, shot him in the leg. Mm. And he got that. Plus, he got a murder and an attempted murder because the gun was used in two different shootouts, one in which a cop was shot. Oh, my God. And you know what? Like, we don't like that's that's what's happening to these guns. People get people can get access to these guns any way they want. Yeah, it's easier to get access to guns in some cases than and it is healthcare. Yeah, <laughs> that's for sh- that is for sure, especially in 2017. Um, so we you know we mentioned this before, um, but this um, Stephen Paddock, the man who committed this act, um, you know he was he's been portrayed in the media as this lone wolf actor. Um, this has not been. Uh, determined to be an act of terrorism um, because, you know, the FBI says he wasn't affiliated with any terror organizations. I mean, does that seem like an appropriate sort of characterization to you both? Well, so it's like it's yes and no, right? So from the legal perspective, there's the question of whether or not this is legally speaking terrorism. In New York, under New York's law, this would actually easily qualify as terrorism. Right. But under other states' laws, there has to be some kind of political aspect of it. And it uh, generally, if you look at the dictionary definition of terrorism, there has to be some kind of political underpinning of it. And so the reason why people are hesitant to call this terrorism, at least right now, is because they haven't had any evidence. And as far as I know, there still is no evidence that this guy had any political motivation. Um, so that's like the legal perspective of it. But from a moral point point of view, um, you know, the thing that I said earlier that bothers me the most about the media not wanting to call this terrorism is that I feel like there's this double standard. Whereas if a Muslim did this, then they automatically would have called it terrorism with regardless of whether there was any evidence um, that the person had a political motive. And like the best example of this before I go to Stanley is um, San Bernardino in California, when mm-hmm. that shooting happened, it eventually came out that he had some ties with ISIS and that there was a political motivation. But originally, when it first happened, before we really had any information, we were told that it was it was a workplace dispute, that he had worked at this place, that it was an office Christmas party or office party of some type, um, and that he was aggravated about how his job ended and that he went back and shot the place up uh, because he was aggravated with some co-workers and wanted revenge. So that on its face uh, does not make it terrorism. Um, but yet, because he was a Muslim guy, people automatically call- said it was terrorism. Now, like I said, later on, we found out that actually he did have a terrorist affiliation. But there's something to be said about that, because when a white man commits some kind of crime like this, a mass shooting, there is not this automatic reaction that it is terrorism, even before we know the motive. And so there's two things really going on here. There's whether it was terrorism, legally speaking, and then how the media reacts to these kinds of things and portrays white people versus the way people of color and Muslims are portrayed. I can't speak to the legal definition of terrorism, but I can tell you in a Webster's Dictionary definition of terrorism, they changed it after 2003. So the definition of terrorism before 2003 was somebody that like inflicts terror by using an action that would cause terror or chaos in, in an area. So by that definition, what he did was a terrorist attack. And then after 9-11 and after we decided we wanted to focus on um, brown people in the Middle East, then the, def- the definition of terrorism changed. But as far as I, I stand, that was terrorism. You can't shoot over 600 people. So you can't injure over 500 people and kill 59 people and it just be 
a lone wolf. You are a terrorist. You inflicted terror into a into a space. I mean, five hundred people. I that the scale of it is incredible, and it's been described as being a war zone. The the event, and it happened in such a short amount of time because he had access to to weapons that allowed him to shoot five hundred over five hundred people in you know, in a very, very short amount of time. So um, right now in Congress, Dianne Feinstein from California has introduced a bill that would uh, regulate the um, the selling of bump stocks that essentially were a legal modification for weapons that essentially turns them into an automatic rifle. Um, so what's been surprising is that the NRA has come out and said, um, and I quote, the NRA believes that devices designed to allow semi-automatic rifles to fire like fully automatic rifles should be subject to additional regulations. So that was shocking to me. How do you both feel? I'm well, I mean, it's sort of a cop out because the subject to additional regulations does not mean banned, right? It means- However, but they are so for, you know, take away all regulations. Don't regulate our guns. This is don't an regulate easy win the for them Amendment. because once you regulate this, once you ban them or whatever, then they can make the argument that now we're trying to overregulate things because they gave up the bump the bump stock, whatever you call it, mm. thing. And one, it's it's not that big of a thing. You get rid of it. You can just what they did with with these guns was like they change the color, they change the knob, and they called it a different gun. They can still put out bump stocks, just call it something different, and they'll be fine because the legislation will be strictly focused on that. And the NRA has you know. This is a gimme. They're not getting rid of their guns. The bump stocks don't make them that much money because most people aren't spending a lot of money to get one of these things. That's interesting. So they're probably selling a few hundred a year, if even that. Right. I mean, listen, that's how I look at it as well, which is it's it's like the NRA was like, you know what? We'll come out in favor of something for once to make it look like we're not so uh, anti-gun control all the time. And they pick a measure that is, you know, I still think it's a good measure. I still think we should do something about it. But it's a measure, as Stanley sort of points out, that's not likely to have um, a huge impact given it's that it's a waste of time. You know, there's not a, a huge number of them sold every year, um, and there are other ways to modify a weapon that can still make it fire like it's an automatic weapon, even without the bump stock. Uh, so it's sort of like it's a waste of time. Don't sugarcoat it, Alyssa. It's yeah. a waste of time. And I would, I was beginning to think that maybe the way we can get gun legislation is that some of these Republicans had their children and family shot. Well, they Steve literally, got shot. yeah, Steve Scalise got shot. Yeah. At, you know, at a congressional baseball game or softball game. Yeah. I I mean, like, I don't know. It seems like we're I mean, there was a similar bill introduced in 2013 in response to the Sandy Hook shooting where elementary school was shot up um, by, you know, a quote unquote lone wolf white man shooter. um, And that obviously went nowhere. And so it's weird to me that this now maybe because I don't know, I I can't begin to rationalize why now the NRA Because you have Donald Trump and the White House. You have a full Republican Senate and Congress. So if you couldn't get a single thing done, you would look completely. No, and there's no there's no black guy in the White House for them to gang up against anymore. So now they're willing to relent because it's on their terms. And it also, like we said before, this is dumb. It doesn't accomplish anything. One bump stock, you, you, had you seen it? It's just like a little knob that you put over the trigger to hold it. That's all it is. Right. You can just get like just put like a, a, a fidget spinner on there, and it's the same thing. <laughs> it's it, it's just BS. But now you have Donald Trump, who's a garbage human being, in the White House, and you have a Congress in the Senate, yes, an alleged <laughs> garbage human being who deserves to be impeached and thrown in prison, and you have a Congress and Senate who is more 
interested in taking money from millionaires and billionaires than actually taking care of working people. So if they get this done, they can be like, we've gotten gun legislation done when no one else could. Well, right. That's and I think that's part of it, which is like they never wanted to give Obama the win. Right. You know, that's, there's that's definitely like an point. aspect of that now. Now it's like if they do something, they can like hold themselves up as like, oh, look, we're in charge. We're so pious. We fixed everything. We're Republicans. We're the best. Like, that's what they're going to say. Um, like, if they would have done something when Obama was president, then if Obama got credit for it, then like they would have been seen as helping right. Obama to accomplish something. And of course, you know that these trash white men, allegedly, um, were not going to help the black man in the White House accomplish anything, as we saw throughout literally everything that happened over his eight year eight years um, in office. They would never let him get a win. I mean, now they're talking about possibly doing a bipartisan fix to health care, right. uh, which they tried. You know, we wanted them to do numerous times when Obama was in office. I mean, that's just one example. So like there's sort of that political gamesmanship of like Republicans like we've become so divided in our politics like Republicans don't want to be seen as helping Democrats to get a win ever anymore because that doesn't bode well for them and their base Um, but like there's also another part of this which is like talking about mental health and sort of that being a cop-out because there was no indication that this guy had any mental health issues Um, and just because somebody is a mass murderer doesn't necessarily mean they have mental health issues and the majority of people that do have mental health issues are nonviolent and are never oh. going to pick up a gun and commit a mass right. shooting. Dare I so. say almost all, right? Like yeah. it's in it doesn't help with the stigma of mental illness in this country anyway to just immediately attribute any kind of mass shooting like, to mental illness. It's like you're going to tell Whether me or not it's true. that I mean, just because somebody went to a therapist once because they had an anxiety after they went through a bad breakup, then that automatically means they shouldn't get a gun? No. That pro- person probably is not at risk of ever shooting anybody. Like, okay, you went through a bad breakup, you went and saw a therapist, you had some anxiety. Meanwhile, you know, we have guys that, like, would commit a mass murder that may not be mentally ill. Like, and then I had this argument with somebody the other day and they were like well anybody that shoots 50 something people has to be mentally ill or have mental issues not necessarily um you know some people just like snap and you can call that a mental breakdown but that doesn't mean that that person had an actual mental health issue you know like as we discussed for political reasons or there's a number of reasons somebody might you know do this thing that because they have access to a gun i mean that's at the end of the day it's the access that allows these things to happen. Like, our right? military kills people all the time. We don't say that they're mentally ill, do no, we? But but we need to, uh, oh, oh Sam, like, oh, no, 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 you go. So, uh, it's really disgusting the way that we talk about people with mental health issues in, in this country. It's deplorable and it's horrible. I... I I made a post, going on a bit of a tangent for one second, I made a post about how we should just give homeless people homes. And someone said most of homeless people have mental health issues. I saw that. And they can't take care of themselves. They'll just spew feces on the walls and make it bad anyway. That's what what a lot of the country thinks people with mental health issues are like. And that's why it's so easy to throw that baton towards them. But if we have such an issue with mental health issues, why have we not funded our hospital and our medic our, our healthcare systems to provide the support the kind of support that people need? Why does it cost so much money to just go and talk to a therapist? Right. If it's like if you want to say that's the issue here, fine. Then at least put some sort of meaningful legislation and funding into um, you know, resources for people yeah. who have mental illness. But no, that doesn't happen either. What happens is nothing, right? There's a lot of talk or lack thereof because folks on the right say, Well, this isn't the appropriate time, you know, everybody's too emotional, too emotional well, to talk about it and so this is not the time to talk now or ever. You know, well, yeah, of course, that's what I was saying before. Like it's never the time to talk according to Republicans. But, you know, like the number I mean 
mean, okay, fine. We should definitely do something about guns and gun laws, and I think that will help. Um, But, you know, like, I think the number one way to reduce gun violence in some way is, like, through education and also through healthcare, as you mentioned. Like, one of the biggest things that would help prevent certain types of gun violence, at least among people that do have mental health issues, which we acknowledge they're not the majority of people that get into these things. But even so, even if people, if the right, for example, says that that's the case, what would be the solution to that? Medicare for all. Do they want to do Medicare for all? No, they don't. So, you know, this is one of those things where everything is related to everything else. Um, You know, like we just saw this with birth control, right? You want to prevent pregnancy and prevent abortions. The way to do that is through birth control. But Republicans talk out of both sides of their uh, you know, S-A, uh, SSA, the yeah. other way around. Why don't we just ban all guns? Why don't we just collect all the guns and then ban guns? Australia did it. Well, because we'd actually have to amend the Constitution to do that. And, so? well, <laughs> the the political <laughs> no, will no, is no, not let's, there. Let's not no, talk, like from let, a, no, I'm just, I'm coming at you from an no, honest no, and perspective. I'm, and I'm telling you, like, let's not worry about the political will. Let's have a real conversation of, like, why not just ban all guns? Why do we need guns? I mean, uh, right. I don't think we, I mean, I am someone who is very much a, you know, would be a gun abolitionist and I, I see no need for them. And I think most people don't, you know, even people with rifles, there are some people that use them for hunting. Fine. Um, I, you know, then again, I don't think that there is in 2017 a real need to have these kind of weapons at all. Right. Um, and, you know, we know that the as soon as you have a gun in your house, you're more likely to be shot with it. There's accidental gun deaths that happen all the time in this country. Suicide by by guns. If you have a gun and you are depressed and you're thinking about suicide, it's just much easier to commit suicide if you have a gun. Um, and not to mention gun deaths against black men by police officers who are armed. I mean, that is something that, you know, you don't hear these police officers who shoot a black man for no reason at a traffic stop get labeled as mentally ill. Right. Right. And because we have this fetish in this country around guns, I don't think it's something that people are going to give up. I think that if we were to say, okay, we're going to like do away with all these kind of weapons, there would be like a mass uprising and all these people with their guns would like step out and, you know, it would be war. I mean, listen, I can't say I'm in favor of getting rid of all guns. I'm not. I mean, I said that from the beginning. I don't fall in the same place as you. But what I will point out, which I think is the like important is look at Canada. Canada is a country that is almost as large as the United States uh, in terms of like sheer area mass, even though they have a lower population. Canada has almost as many guns as we have here in the United States. And yet Canada has basically no mass shootings compared to what we have here in the United States. And the answer is why. Um, And the reason is regulations. And you have to get your gun registered and you have to go through training courses. So I do think that there are ways. And Canada has a nationalized law that regulates guns throughout all of their provinces, unlike here where we have this patchwork of different gun laws in different states um, that allows for situations like we talked about earlier where guns get from one state to another. Um, So the thing is, if we look at Canada as a model, um, I think that there's somewhere in between um, where we are now in America and where Australia is, where they essentially banned all guns. Um, And I think that's the Canadian model. And I think we should take a play out of their book and look at why it works there and figure out a way for us to implement a simpler a similar proposal here. Sure, right. I mean, to wrap up, this is, like we said before, this is the only country where this keeps happening, where we wonder, how do we prevent this from happening again? And yet we're the only country with this kind of gun issue where mass shootings, I mean, we've had 273 mass shootings, almost as many mass shootings as days of this year so far in 2017. And there needs to be something that is 
you know, something needs to be done. Um, these state by state piecemeal solutions don't work because what happens is illegal guns are brought in from states that are, have lax regulations into states that, um, you know, have stricter regulations. So there needs to be something done. I mean, in New York State, where we are right now, we have strict regulations, but we need to be calling on our congressmen, calling on our legislatures to to speak out and say, you know, like enact these regulations now because we can't have some states with more lax regulations than others. That's not going to work. And we're going to keep seeing mass shootings happen. We know statistically this is going to keep happening until we do something, until our Congress acts and our country as a whole makes this a priority and regulates these kind of weapons um, so that these shootings, you know, that should be the goal here. We should not want these things to happen again. Unfortunately, we can expect that they will until any kind of meaningful legislation is passed. So I would say to folks listening, especially in states with lax gun control laws, call your congressman, call your U.S. senator and demand that they take action before it's too late. All right, guys. Thank you for that closing, Jackie. We're going on a quick break. When we come back, it'll be the news roundup. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, this is Stanley Fritz. I'm here with Alyssa Fuchs and, of course, Jackie Cohen with the triangle V-ish necklace right there. I'm not sure what it is, but it looks slightly interesting. And anyways, guys, if you just tuned in, like I said before, you missed out on a great conversation about the gun epidemic in America and the Las Vegas mass shooting that left 59 people dead and 500 people injured and the death toll might go up higher because there are people in critical condition right now in the hospital but because this is america we'd rather protect the rights to hold high capacity weapons that let you shoot hundreds of people at a time and kill people than actually put regulation on that could save lives you know why because white people are gonna white America. that's right and if you're looking for selena selena is away this weekend she had to work aka party she's in california probably having a mojito with no alcohol in it while dancing as if she is two days worth of drunkness guys <laughs> this, this is the news true. roundup and during the news roundup we talk about things that made us laugh cry curse flip a table punch a computer screen or maybe just close our laptops in general frustration and i want you guys to share your stories with us you can do that by giving us a call at 212-650-6903 hit me you want to know my favorite story this week go ahead rex tillerson called donald trump an effing moron (laughs) (laughs) and that's not allegedly either Um, what so basically here's what happened Rex Tillerson's apparently been working on some democratic solution to the North Korea problem. Uh, the team solves sure. North Korea. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> um, For those of you who don't know, Rex Tillerson is the Secretary of State. Sort of, you know, allegedly. Yeah, in theory. In theory. Um, and anyway, so he's been working on some diplomatic solution to solve the North Korea problem, um, supposedly. And then all of a sudden, Donald Trump does what he does best, which is undermines this by essentially tweeting out that Rex Tillerson should not waste his time doing this because nothing's going to have any effect. Um, and then it leaked uh, that Rex Tillerson called Donald Trump an effing moron. Um, and then when confronted about it, Rex Tillerson basically would not deny that he said it. So, oh um, you know, it's more from the fun house. When you elect a clown, you get the whole circus. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, my God. That is epic. Jackie, did you hear about this? No, that's great. Where was I? Oh, I was away in Lincoln. Yeah, that explains Oregon. it. You were, you were in that place called Albany. He called the president effing more. I mean, I think this is the first time I've ever agreed with a crusty old white man. <laughs> well, I mean, Guys, Sanders. mark down the state. Mark down the state. It is October 8th. <laughs> Stanley is agreeing with a crusty yeah. old white man. That's right. That's right. Wow. Why doesn't he just resign? 
Uh, well, apparently he thought about resigning or was going to possibly resign, uh, but then decided not to. Cause, you a lot know. of people thought about resigning. Um, the the Cohen guy said he thought he thought about resigning after the Charlottesville thing when Donald Gary Trump was Khan? open. Yeah, Gary Khan. Apparently not they my were dad, back in other Gary Khan. Apparently yeah. they were back in Charlottesville this weekend. They were back in yes, Charlottesville. Yes, they were. You know, I was in Charlottesville last weekend. Um, oh, they heard you were there and they got mad. Did you get they, a tiki torch? I can't. Jackie? No, you know this liberal Jew walking through Charlottesville and nothing happened to me. Um, no, it's it's really weird to be there. I mean, I I guess I had you know as like a liberal northerner i had my ideas of what it would be like Libertar. to go down there yeah um it is a college town it is you know a lot of the, i i think most of the people protesting in the big obviously march alt-right march um came in from out of town and from other parts of virginia and all over the country to like partake in this march um when i was walking through the city of charlottesville there were signs in every shop window that said heather with a heart around it mm-hmm. um to to honor the woman who was killed, Heather Hires. Um, there were signs that said, you know, the hate and intolerance has no place here. I think that the city itself is really reeling from what happened there. And it's such a bizarre, it's like walking through like Soho or any kind of like mm. city. There was like an Urban Outfitters and like well, cute listen, little you shops. Heard we and had stuff. some guy hanging Nazi flags in his window right here in New York City. Right, so, right. You know. I know. Like it's every, it's everywhere. I mean, that's the point, right? Mm-hmm. Is that this, this can happen everywhere. It's not like, and I think that it's important for New Yorkers, especially in folks up north to remember that this isn't just a southern issue of white supremacy and racism this is all this is an american issue every single state that's that's nice that they put up those those header things on their on their windows but a lot of these people probably uphold white supremacy i mean like, yeah but like it's everywhere right and so yeah. i think that's important to remember like i think especially as new yorkers we often say to ourselves like all right well that like craziness happened down there like that's not happening up here mm-hmm. right like just because like you know, you see folks. I mean, first of all, w- there's a man up here with like um, Confederate flags hanging out of his windows in Manhattan. Right. So mm-hmm. it, d- it literally happens up here. But yeah. just because the flags aren't being raised as frequently up in New York as they are maybe in Virginia or Alabama yeah. doesn't mean that the beliefs aren't held by people. Yeah, they're held by the NYPD. We see that every day. So <laughs> yeah. it's true. Like, I, I totally yeah. agree with you. We have a racist state here. We have a, a mayor who said he was a progressive and has done everything in his power to not be that and also be ignorant when it comes to police reform in the city. We ha- we have people, police officers who say they want to put the fear of God into black boys. So I like you are absolutely mm-hmm. right. I, I think I've just come to a point where like I'm really tired of white people showing signs of support, but not actually supporting. Right. Yeah. Um, did you have a story, Stanley? I do have a story. Speaking of like that, just the way I just down that whole nice moment. Sorry, Jackie. Because <laughs> um, no, no, no. I got some other good stories. Yes. The FBI is now putting BMIs like black militant interest groups on the FBI watch list as a group that is growing and we need to watch out for these black groups that are interested in overthrowing the government these black groups like Black Lives Matter what about um, these white groups surprised? that are marching in fascist rallies and people, driving into crowds with their cars they're, they're and very fine people, people those are fine people so are I'm they on people. any kind of FBI watch list no and you, so you know like I, there's a, a, a 60% chance that I am on the FBI watch list you guys know I'm that I'm definitely right? on the FBI watch list yeah. no no Alyssa well, yeah, you probably are too. I am. But like the the stuff that I say and the groups that I affiliate with, I am. There's a sixty percent chance that I'm on this watch list. By the way, guys, if you want to call in or you're on a watch list and you want to confirm or deny whether Alyssa and I are on there, you can give us a call <laughs> at two one two six five zero six nine zero three. Again, that is two one two six five zero six nine zero three. You know, Jackie, Jackie's probably on there too. Yeah, I was gonna say that the only person in this on the show who's probably not on a watch list is Selena. Jackie's with Surge. You're with like Prop and all these other. With like, Surge? Oh, no, I'm, if not now. 
Oh, sorry. Yeah. Wow, I am racist, aren't I? No, they, they, I would, no, I mean, there are No, get it, because it's two white groups trying to help, like, do good. <laughs> <laughs> but, like... No, like, more power to them. I Yeah, no, but, like, we all, you know, we have liberal beliefs. And, mm-hmm. I mean, like, I'm certainly part of, like, a peaceful movement. It's um, not peaceful, Jackie. I, it you definitely the is. Black we go and protest and sing songs. Push communism. Oh, communist songs. That's oh my god, it, that reminds me of that meme that you posted that one day that we can't talk about on the radio, but oh. we'll have to talk about it after <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, though, because but, you're laughing about it. But again, it. getting to the last segment, the hypocrisy of, you know, the that there are groups like Black Lives Matter being put on FBI watch list, but, you know, groups that were participants, vocal, proud participants in marches like the Charlottesville rally, alt-right rally that was that became extremely violent, um, you know, very early on. Like these are groups that are not necessary. I mean, that I, I don't know. Maybe they are, but I you know, it's ridiculous to well, equate you know, them to like, groups like Black America Lives America is racist, so what else do you know? Um, anyway, speaking of hypocrisy, this is my favorite story this week behind the Rex Tillerson one. Uh, so Tim Murphy, he's a Republican. Um, he had to resign from Congress this week uh, because he voted in favor of a bill uh, that would ban abortion after 20 weeks. Uh, but then it came out. The newspaper released a whole bunch of text messages that they had uh, where he was involved in a scandal because he encouraged his mistress to have an abortion after she got pregnant. Uh, so apparently mm. this is pro-life in the streets, um, but uh, pro-choice in the sheets, uh, <laughs> or whenever your mistress gets pregnant and you have to get rid of it before your wife finds out. Um, so, you know, all I have to say about that is, na-na-na-na, na-na-na-na, hey, hey, <laughs> hey, goodbye. goodbye. <laughs> I mean, I just don't understand how, I mean, I guess because you're part of the party and you have something to prove, but it's like, why? Why? Well, because you know to- the, the abortion. There's exceptions. It's it's rape, um, life or health of the mother, or I got my mistress pregnant. Didn't you know? Do you didn't hear about that one? It's just like you know Republicans when it comes to homosexuality. Right. There's exactly. no exceptions except when you get caught tapping your foot in a Minnesota bathroom. Right. See you, Larry Craig. <laughs> still watching. Uh. Um. Or you know, like there's multiple, countless, countless other examples of Republicans and their hypocrisy when it comes to things like homosexuality. Um. Um, and abortion uh, because it's basically it's good for the goose but not for the gander unless right. like I said you get your mistress pregnant and then she has to have an abortion well you know Republicans Republicans gonna go to Republican guys we do have a caller on a line Lamont let your voice be heard my dear brother brothers and sisters uh, it, let your voice be heard is very relevant what I'm listening to and I usually listen I don't always call in obviously but uh what you all are doing, uh, the vibrations that you're sharing as young millennials, I'm assuming that you are millennials. Is that correct? We are millennials. This is true. Yes. Highly intelligent, speaking truth to power. You represent a generation that I came from back in the day when the F- Anyway, I'm not put all my personal business up regarding the FBI. But anyway... Again, my name is Lamont, and I do Lamont's Jazz Break at 8 every Sunday evening tonight, right here at this radio station. Uh, and uh, my, what I'm doing is, in my opinion, is good stuff. But what, I'm gonna, what you all are doing every Sunday, everybody should be listening to what is coming out of all of y'all's beautiful mouths, your beautiful intelligence, your beautiful souls. People need to tune in, and I'm gonna tonight. I'm gonna make sure I'm gonna say, look, y'all, y'all got to tune into this show. 
uh, every Sunday. And uh, anyway, I just want to leave it at that. I'm just I want to get off the air so I can hear what y'all got to say because I've said enough, my brother and sisters. God loves you, and so do I. Thank you. Thank you very we much, love Lamont. you, Lamont. That was you great. Know, and listen to Lamont show at eight o'clock tonight. Yeah, there's nothing better than than like someone telling you how awesome you are in the, on a Sunday morning. So I know. Thank you. That just made my whole week. <laughs> no, thank you, Lamont. We we try our best. We work hard, but there's a lot of people who like have these thoughts and opinions and we want to amplify your voices so speak up guys give us a call at 212-650-6903 even if you don't necessarily agree with us as long as you're not being hateful or threatening we want your voices to be heard you can also tweet us at beheard underscore radio or comment on facebook live i want to switch gears to one happy thing before i come up with the sadness (laughs) i don't know if you guys talked about this last week but barty b bodak yellow number one song in the country what up? Beat out. Um, what's what's the white girl's name? Um, Taylor Swift. There we go. I thought it was Katy Perry. <laughs> I mean, that's another white is. girl. <laughs> <laughs> what song did Taylor Swift have that was number one? I don't know. Uh, look at what you made me do. What? I have Isn't no that idea. The song that's out. I literally have. I don't no know. Idea. Guess what she doesn't have? Birth control. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> she probably does. <laughs> Actually, wait. What I a, take that what back. A she probably transition. She probably gets birth control. <laughs> she can afford it. Yeah. Shout Look out to what she made me do. I no mean, so that control. was a big. That was big news this week. Out of uh, the circus house um, was <laughs> circus the Trump <laughs> administration um, rolled back regulations that would require um, employers, employers, nonprofit groups to provide birth control in insurance to employees that want it based on, you know, religious affiliation or whatever else. Because, you know, there's, you know, the the, the Republicans make so much sense. They don't want anybody to have an abortion, but they want to make it impossible to get the one thing or afford the one thing that we know definitely prevents people from having abortions, a.k.a. birth control, because when you're on birth control, it's 99.9% that you're not going to get pregnant. Now, of course, there's always uh, that 0.01% that you might. Nothing's perfect. Unless you're Ron Swanson, and then in that case, there's nothing you can do about it. Ron Swanson is too powerful. Um, It's like that meme. It just (laughs) must be so nice to be like a rich, white, cis man in Congress that just is like, hmm. I have literally nothing at risk. Let me just play it fast and loose with everybody else's rights. This is fun. It's like Monopoly. Um, it just, it must be so nice. Well, you know, speaking of so nice, it must also be so nice to be cis these days because, you know, in other words, things that were rolled back this week were protections for transgender people that the Obama administration essentially had uh, put on the books. Um, and, you know, just to give a little more detail on that. The 1964 Civil Rights Act prevents uh, discrimination for a variety of reasons, race, sex. um, uh, But, you know, gender and sexual orientation are not specifically listed on the 1964 Civil Mm -hmm. Rights Act. Um, However, during the Obama administration, the Department of Justice was interpreting uh, the sex discrimination provision of the 1964 Civil Rights Act to include sexuality and gender identity because of the fact uh, they were inherently related to sex discrimination, which is true. They are. Um, But this week, the Department of Justice and Jeff Sessions came out and said that the Department of Justice under Donald Trump is no longer going to consider uh, transgender people or gender identity to become a protected 
uh, form under the Civil Rights Act. And so now they are switching sides on a whole bunch of cases that are already being litigated. And that's going to be really interesting. Um, But at the end of the day, it's really going to be up to the courts. Eventually, this issue may, in fact, make it to the Supreme Court, who is going to have to decide once and for all whether gender identity and sexual orientation are or are not covered under the 1964 Civil Rights Act. (sighs) I'm not going to say bad things about them because I'm going to be even more depressed in a second. Did you guys hear about the the recent police shooting? Um, forgive me, guys, for, for the spotty information, but pretty much what happened was there was a man. He was stopped on his bike because he didn't have a light on. Where him. it was dark. Um, I, I, I don't. I'll get the exact information. It for was you when dark, or he was dark. It was dark out, and he didn't have a, a bike light and, on. And him. he I, was dark too. Yeah, right? but like, yeah, this, yeah, but um, the cops, they he had, they asked for his name. He gave him the name. He let the cops know there would be a warrant out for him. The cops found a warrant. Had more cops come. They were arresting him. He was crying, begging the cops not to arrest him. And then he bolted and ran away. I they mean, shot him in the back course. three times. Right. The cops got off. The judge said that the cops were justified in shooting him in the back. The cops said they feared for his life when he was running away from away them. Away from them. I mean, and they found a knife on the scene, allegedly. Right. Like so, this again. How many times does this have to happen yeah. before something changes? Right. It's just we've seen this. Literally, we've seen this on tape yeah. occur. Right. And I mean, we we've been seeing this occur for four hundred plus years. Right. I you know. I, I sometimes I tell myself that I'm numb to these things and that I'm like it won't surprise me anymore, and then it happens, and it's just like, why? It's the same thing with that Las Vegas shooting. I tried to tell myself why I didn't because care. white people. That's why. Well, I, you know what? Like I usually agree with that and just say white people are trash, but I think that's too easy of a of a cop out. It's not necessarily white people because not all white people feel this way. All white people have the capacity to be racist, and inherently, all white people are racist. But it's because of the institution of racism and the way that we have portrayed people of color to be these wild, savagely animals. And I'm really starting to feel like the only way you can break that system is to destroy this system. Mm. Because what else can you do? I know. I mean, what else can we do? Like, there's, it's, like I said, there's a gun fetish in this country, certainly amongst private gun owners, but in the way that law enforcement enforces the law or, you know, not. But um, I don't understand how somebody is a threat to your life when they're running away from you because they're scared. Um, but this, you know, how many times does this kind of thing have to happen before there's any meaningful change? I mean, you know, listen, it's happened numerous times. It's going to continue to happen again. Like this is sort of the... The thing about America, which is insanity, is repeating the same things over and over again and expecting different results. And yet we keep doing the same things over and over again. Um, So we should expect that we're going to get the same result. Um, That said, I want to end on a light note uh, since we only have one more minute. So Robert Mueller is investigating the PP tape. That was news this week. They are looking into the dossier. Uh, So if you are interested in potentially seeing Donald Trump allegedly being peed on or I watching have literally girls pee no on interest each other. in ever seeing um, that. I do. Hotel. Oh, I definitely do. Gross. I will I will say this right now. I will watch the PP tape. Ugh. I will no. publish it on our website. <laughs> Stanley will publish the PP tape. So if you watch the PP tape, you can send us a comment I will and send say it that in you will watch blast. it. Donald Trump either giving or getting a golden shower or I want to embarrass the crap out of him. Drag him through the mud. Drag oh. him. Wait, no, no, no. But the best part about that whole story is that it was allegedly happened in the hotel room where Barack Obama and Michelle Obama spent the night when they went to Moscow because, you know, 
I don't know, Donald Trump's so crazy that, like, he has to get a golden shower in the same room that Obama was in because, uh, I don't know, like, you know. Anyways, cool. so we'll keep an eye on that, and, you know, maybe we'll see the uh, the yellow come down from the sky sometime later on in the, in this month or so. Oh, until then, it's Bodak Yellow. <laughs> Whoa, hey. Sorry, guys. My, I get real aggressive with Meek Mill. Come on, <laughs> beloved. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3. I don't know. I'm w- Team Nikki, so I'm a hater. You're Ooh. Team Nikki? Mm, but, but Meek Mill has an album out. Does Nikki? No, beloved. No, but Nikki put out like three albums. In like oh. seven years. <laughs> so yeah, okay, it was like six years. <laughs> so clearly we have a Barbie in here. The Barbie hive. Ooh. Anyways, guys, we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM. WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, this is Stanley Fritz. I am here with Jackie, Mother Love, and Cohen. And, of course, Alyssa Fuchs. If you are looking for Selena Hill, Selena Hill is on another workcation. As you guys may know, Selena takes workcations every other week where she goes to Hawaii, Bahamas, California, or even sometimes just to Aegis Elba's house to hang out. <laughs> Oh, I'm my sh- God. Please take me with you. <laughs> so anyways, guys, we just finished the news roundup, and we're going to start a new conversation about Indigenous Peoples Day. But before we do, we have a Miss Diane on the line, and I want to give her a chance to let her voice be heard. Miss Diane, go ahead. Thank you so much. I love you, children. I love you. Let me get clear. A lot of people already know this. Paul Ryan, Mitch McConnell, Mr. Grab him by the you-know-what in the White House are scared that President Obama's penis is bigger than theirs. They are obsessed with President Obama and black men in general. One other thing, I'm an incest survivor. We know things that nobody else on the planet want to know. Mr. Grabenbody, you know what? And Ivanka, his daughter, is doing the wild thing. Thank you for letting me share. Miss Diane, thank you for the hot fire this morning. Oh man, Miss Diane was talking spicy on air. (laughs) Thank you, Miss Diane. (laughs) Um, Professor Harden, you can't suspend me because Miss Diane said all that and I did not pay her to do that. Miss Diane, thank you very much for calling to let your voice be heard. Well, I mean, listen, I think there's some truth to what she's got to say right really there. People really like us this Sunday, don't they? Um, you know, they are jealous of Barack Obama. They're never going to be as good as a leader as they he was or as well-spoken as he was or, you know, as good-looking or as good of a husband as he was. They're so. jealous of that third leg. Yep. Obama came out in that tan well, suit. Well, that's because, you know, Obama turned in all his guns, so he got all those extra inches. That's, that's right. <laughs> Obama came out with that tan suit, and it had the same effect as gray sweatpants. And it was like, nah, this ain't fair. Right. Like, right. don't you wish that we like we still had the same kind of scandals? Like, Obama, the biggest scandal was he wore a tan Ma- suit. He wore mom jeans. <laughs> no, he really did wear those high-waisted mom jeans, though. Out here trying to look like a snack, but for who? But you know what? I, <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't get over that. Oh my god! So guys, we do actually have to talk about some things, and we are here to talk about Indigenous Peoples Day. Oops, I mean Columbus Day. So as you guys know, on the second Monday of every year, we celebrate Christopher- of October. Of October, yes. Yeah, second, we celebrate racism. Well, we celebrate. I mean, 
the country is has a, a national holiday in which we're supposed to celebrate the day that Christopher Columbus discovered America or his birthday or something like that. I'm not really sure. I don't care to be accurate because it's Christopher Columbus. Alyssa, can you do some explanation for me, please? Uh, yeah, I mean, so obviously, as most things in America, we have a problematic history here uh, in that we like to say that Christopher Columbus discovered something as if there weren't actually people already here um, and living here for a long time. Uh, and so apparently when he came here and quote unquote discovered uh, this land that was already occupied by other native people um, and then he slaughtered them. And for that reason, we celebrate him. I don't know. Things don't make too much sense on that front. Um, but essentially, that is what's going on. And in recent years, there has been sort of a movement uh, to not glorify Christopher Columbus any further because of the fact uh, that, you know, it's really not appropriate to glorify somebody who committed genocide and also uh, a movement to correct the record, uh, yeah. which is to say that during, um, you know, school, we do not teach people uh, this history. And so we've essentially whitewashed history in a way uh, that does not makes it look like in some ways that Native Americans were at fault for their own genocide. Um, and in some ways that makes, uh, you know, Columbus Day seem like it's just a day to celebrate Italian heritage uh, and to ignore the racist and problematic elements uh, of Columbus Day itself. Uh, so on that, I'm going to throw it back over to Stanley to continue the explanation that I was just giving. Thank you very much for um, giving the brief explanation of Columbus Day and Christopher Columbus. So what you guys should know is that we didn't always celebrate Christopher Columbus Day. It actually started becoming a thing or a conversation in the 1800s. And if listen, if you said this already, let me know and I'll just like shift to something else. It actually started becoming a thing that people wanted to push in the 1800s when like a lot of Italian um, immigrants came over and they were trying to find like a piece to be prideful for and be able to kind of like show like, hey, Italians are awesome. They could have picked Verrazano. They could have. And one of the first places that actually celebrated Christopher Columbus Day was Colorado. And they made that a law, I think, in 1905. But let's actually talk about Christopher Columbus because they say he discovered America. They say that he was, you know, he was the one that proved the world was not flat. And he did all these great things. That is actually not what happened. So just right off the jump, Christopher Columbus never touched American soil. Never. Never. Not only did he not touch American soil, he was generally known as an idiot who had been petitioning for up to 10 years to get a country to give him money to voyage overseas. And somehow he finally swindled Spain into letting him do it. And when he landed over in Bahamas, which is the first place that he landed in, he thought it was it was East Asia which is why he called them Indians. And one of the first things that he did, he noticed that some of the natives had gold, like gold rings in their ears. He captured them and forced them to show them where they kept their gold at. They then took 10 people with them, 10 natives with them, and tried to bring them over to Spain. Only six of them actually survived. When he came back, he went, he went to Hispaniola, which is now known as Haiti and Dominican Republic, and they slaughtered thousands of people there because he bragged that it would only take 50 of his men to right. go and take over the entire province he used to gift his his other sailors with with indigenous slaves and he has one of his one of his servants um one of his sailors actually has a diary entry in which he talks about one of the indigenous women that they kidnapped to make his sex slaves didn't want to have sex with him so he took a catarod and beat her mm. until she finally submitted and then he said once she submitted she became very enjoyable in the bedroom christopher columbus cut off the hands of natives and made them walk around and wear them as necklaces he once cut off someone's nose and ears for stealing one piece of corn and then sold them into slavery he is one of the founding fathers of the transatlantic slave trade he is also an incompetent person who died of all things aggressive syphilis <laughs> yeah <laughs> and the irony yes 
And his legacy should not be discovering America. His legacy is truly the destruction of millions of lives and transforming the way this world is and how we perceive it to be. But because we need to prop up whiteness in every way, we're going to be having this conversation. So now that I've talked about the history of Columbus Day, I want to know what you guys have known before we talked about this right here. Alyssa? Uh, what do you mean, what have I known? So, like, have you, did you know all of this about Columbus Day? What did you learn in school? Did you learn yeah, this no, in school? I mean, I mean, no, I, I learned all this stuff after school. When I was in school, I was so, taught, you know, the same thing I think pretty much everything, everybody is taught, that in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. He came in three ships, the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa the Nina, Maria. The Nina, the and the Santa um, Maria. You know, he landed here, and, um, you know, he saw some natives, and he was like, oh, my God, I love these people, and they broke bread, and everybody lived happily ever after. Except for indigenous um, people. You know, and then it only is after uh, you, you know, become an adult and you get out of that very juvenile mentality of of what you are taught about uh, in middle school and in high school that you realize, of course, only if you want to, you know, obtain this knowledge, because after you graduate high school, obtaining any further knowledge is really optional. You know, as we see uh, throughout the country, uh, you don't really have to uh, att- obtain any more knowledge than that. Um, but, you know, so then you come to realize if you seek the knowledge, of course, that everything you ever learned is is really not true and that the true reality of it is um, a lot more violent and genocidal. And you also learn that aside from the violence and genocide, uh, there was also the spread of disease that was brought by white men and and, and transmitted to Native Americans, um, which even if genocide itself didn't wipe them out, lots of uh, diseases uh, did. Um, Hold that thought, Alyssa, because I want to dig into that a little bit more, but I want to get Jackie's what she learned in school first before we go that deep. Right. I was just going to say, and then you just realize that it's all a lie, that everything you know is a lie. Yeah. I mean, like you definitely I didn't learn this in in school growing up, you know, you, you're sort of told like, oh, everything was copacetic and explorers from Europe came over and, you know, made friends with the Native Americans and they learned from each other and lived in harmony the end. Right. And it, it wasn't part of my education um, to, you know, I, I learned much later what really happened. And, you know, it's so as like, you know, I talk about this a lot on the show, but as somebody who is a Jew who has a history, um, you know, an ancestral ancestral history of violence and oppression, you know, because of what how Jewish people been, have been treated. It's, you know, I think I take for granted sometimes how I am fortunate to have access to my um, cultural history and how much that means to me to be able to say, like, this is how this is being taught in school and it's correct and, you know, it represents what really happened in an accurate way. And I can't imagine being an indigenous person sitting in a sitting in the classroom, hearing this history, knowing full well that that's not what happened. And actually, you know, the effects of Christopher Columbus on indigenous people were was in many, many ways catastrophic. I think that it's, you know, it's it's really problematic that this is how we're teaching U.S. history in our schools. You're right. And you guys, if you want to call in with a question or a comment, we'd especially like to know what you learned about Christopher Columbus when you were in school. When you were in school, the number is 212-650-6903. Again, that is 212-650-6903. Or you can tweet us at BeHerd underscore radio. Facebook Live. Keep the comments coming. We see them. We're going to read them when we get a chance to. And I really wanted to just talk about this because one of the things that we have seen throughout the history of our country is the ability to whitewash and erase entire stories. And the institution of racism and white supremacy is prevalent throughout our history. For example, did you know that Christopher Columbus was not the first person to voyage to the West Indies? No, he wasn't. Did you know that it was actually a country, um, it was Egyptians, not even Egyptians, pardon me. It was, um, I think, Somalian nation that went over and traded with the natives first. Did you guys know that? Did you guys know that 70 years before that, somebody from England 
voyage over there and didn't have contact with the natives but actually stepped on the soil and was there and then 400 years before that it was some it was a country from from, from china but when it was so small provinces that that traveled over there so there's all this history that we don't know all these stories that have never been told and yet we're hearing this columbus story and we're hearing a certain depiction of it and because of that tomorrow a lot of people had to day off Mm-hmm. Knowing this new information, do you still feel comfortable celebrating Columbus Day, Jackie? No, and I am fortunate that my organization does not give off. On well, that doesn't sound fortunate. I mean, <laughs> sure. But, like, you know, we don't as, I mean, because we don't. Um, but I don't think it's, a, if it was Indigenous Persons Day, then that would be one thing. But it's not. And I don't, you know, I'm not interested in celebrating this man. Period. Right. I mean, listen, I I am taking off tomorrow, um, mostly because I need a mental health day. I've been working like crazy. You really have, um, uh, yeah. <laughs> but you know, like I'm really to me, it's more like I'll celebrate Indigenous People Day of my own accord. And I think another important thing for me in terms of Columbus Day is um, I'll use the day in engagement through my social media to per the correct history to give people the right information to um, call out you know the fact that history has been so whitewashed it also goes to show you just how pervasive white supremacy is in our education system in that yeah. we cannot even address this uh, from a reality point of perspective but the other thing that I wanted to address is about Italians and Italian history um, you know I think that celebrating Italian history and Italian he- uh, heritage heritage is important just like celebrating black history and black heritage is important Agreed. and Hispanic heritage is important. I just don't think you need to use Christopher Columbus Day as a way to do that. And so a big push that you get, especially from people that are Italian and in particular, you know, people who are white and Italian, they'll say like, you know, by saying that you're going to cancel Columbus Day disrespects Italians, disrespects Italian culture. Um, and that's why I brought up Verrazano before, which is there's other ways to celebrate Italian history and Italian heritage um, without necessarily celebrating Columbus uh, specifically. Um, And for the many reasons you mentioned, like Columbus never actually came to Americans. So why is it that so many Italian Americans feel so connected to him? To me, that doesn't make sense. Um, Like Verrazano, um, who I mentioned, you know, actually did come to America. He was the first person to ever actually make it through New York Harbor. He would, you know, he doesn't have uh, the problematic history that Christopher Columbus has. Um, he, if anybody, should be the Italian explorer that Italian Americans want to celebrate. And, right. and, and we, we honor him by charging people $17 to, to cross go over the bridge. bridge. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, but, you know, like that to me like we can celebrate we don't have to call it christopher columbus day we can say let's have a a, a italian heritage day just like we have saint patrick's day which is irish heritage day we don't continue to have to couch it in christopher columbus and we should honor native americans so what what does honoring native americans look like what kind of stories can we share when so much of it has been erased and native people have mostly been erased and been just like supplant their stories have just been replaced with these ridiculous stereotypes of Native Americans being pretty much extinct or alcoholics or people who don't care about the country. Jackie. Well, you tell us, right, as a person of color in this country, as a black man, you know, there is so much history um, that has been erased from, you know, especially black people who whose ancestors were slaves. Right. There's so much history there that has been erased and covered over. And, you know, like, I mean, you tell me, like, what do we do? What kind of stories do we need to hear? How do we uplift people who are indigenous? Well, the first step is to let them tell their own stories. We do have indigenous tribes in New York State. A lot of them are being erased. A lot of them are having pipelines put into their their land. And we need to stop that. And we need to let them step up and tell their stories. 
I know that Selena worked very hard to get us a guest that could speak from that, from that perspective today, and we were unable to get one because, you know, it's tough. It's a weekend. People have things to do. But any chance that we get, we should let them do that. And if we can't find someone, if we are knowledgeable, we should amplify those stories. I know a couple of months ago, I wrote a long form piece about the Young Lords, which is a it was a civil rights activist group back in the 60s and 70s. It was also a gang. So maybe the next piece that I write will be about an indigenous tribe. And, you know, in the closing, I have some interesting facts about indigenous tribes that I want to share with you guys and indigenous people because they matter. And so do their stories. But, guys, we do have to go on a quick break. Ted down Columbus statue. I don't want to live. Oh, you're recording me. Damn it. Hi. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM. WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you were just tuning in, this is Stanley Prince. I'm here with Alyssa Fuchs and, of course, Jackie Cohen. Selena is on her workcation. She's working or cationing. Heavy or maybe both heavy quotes on that and we have been talking about the history of christopher columbus and columbus day and within the frame of that conversation we've talked about the real history of christopher columbus if you would like to call in and share what you heard about columbus or columbus day please do so our number is 212-650-6903 if you have comments you can leave them on our facebook live and we will read them and I just want to give a quick shout out to Ursula, a good family friend who's listening all the way from the Netherlands right now. Hi, Ursula. Yay. Thank you. Um, so speaking of comments, um, Ebony Small says it's absolutely a white thing. Um, and uh, there looks like there were some other comments that, I don't know, Facebook is being funky about. But we want to just thank Ebony for leaving a comment. And James, I can see that you're leaving a comment. Unfortunately, I'm not able to tell you, see what it is. But thank you for commenting on our, our uh, Let Your Voice Be Heard Facebook live stream. We really appreciate it. That. Yeah, James and Ebony have been pretty active in the um, on the Facebook live chat all morning, so we thank you guys for that. So now I want to ask a question. We have all these monuments of Christopher Columbus all over the country. Should we tear them down? Yeah. Why not? Right? Like, yeah. why? <laughs> I don't know. I think... Uh, why not take down these shrines? I mean, it, we've had this conversation in recent weeks in regards to Confederate statues. And, you know, while they have a place maybe in a in a history museum, they don't need to be in city squares. Right. And I think that the same can be said about statues of Columbus. And actually, right now, all in cities all across the country, including in New York, statues of Columbus are being protected by police officers because they're worried that people are going to come and tear them down. Well, here's my question for you, and I'm playing a bit of devil's advocate over here, is if we really went through history and like held people accountable, we'd have no statues left. Why, like, who what? cares? Like, who? Cares? It's a statue, right? Like, yeah. it's not like a golden calf that you're going to worship. It's a yeah. statue, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that it's important to keep, to have museums to know the history. That's critical, right? We need to know where we've come. We can't whitewash our history as the United States. We need to hold ourselves accountable, and you know, like, n and prevent this kind of thing from ever happening again, and take responsibility and be accountable for our country's history. Our our terrible. You know, so you would take down history. Columbus, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, all those statues? Why, yeah, who cares? Alyssa? Put it in a museum. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I think like it's a harder <laughs> line. Stressed. It, like, no, it's a harder line when it comes to people who are actually president. Like, I, I realize there's still problematic things with Thomas Jefferson. He owned slaves. George Washington of our owned slaves. Have been like, racist. Got that. Um, you know, it's a fine line because on one hand, like as Jews, you're taught to never forget history because if you forget history, there's a good possibility that it could be repeated. Um, but not forgetting history doesn't mean it constantly has to be in your face all the time in the form of a monument, like, for example, in Columbus Circle. Um, you know, so I think we 
we have to walk a fine line in certain respects because on one hand, I'm in favor of taking down certain monuments. I do think they should go in museums because I don't think we should just get rid of them altogether. Um, you know, we don't want to get into a situation where out of sight, out of mind, and now we're forgetting about certain historical things that happen. Uh, part of what I think is important in taking down the monuments is also education. It has to be twofold. It can't yeah. just be a removal of monuments. It has to be a removal of monuments and an increase in education. I want to um, jump in right there, actually, Alyssa, because you know what? Institutions speed the facts on the ground. If we change the way that we educated people on Christopher Columbus, we would change that institution of how he is perceived, and that would change the way that we'd want, like that, the way that we'd want to deal with him in like on our regular days and in our regular lives. So I agree with you a hundred percent. But then what how much information do we give people? Because do we really want to be telling a whole bunch of second graders that he was raping women and cutting off hands? Yeah. I mean I, you know. Jack is like, yeah, sure. I, I mean what do, like here, what do we tell second graders about Hitler? I mean that's you the know, thing. When I was for- in when I was in second grade going into the I went to Anne Frank's house, right? I had the opportunity to go visit Holland and go to Anne Frank's house and I went to Holocaust museums and I learned what the Holocaust was and it was really, you know, it was a little bit probably traumatic. Um I definitely remember having nightmares as a kid. But I knew what that meant and I knew what that meant for my cultural history and identity yeah. and it was something that I, you know, like I didn't fully you know I it set the foundation for my knowledge about this issue for years to come. And obviously I learned more about the grisly details. I didn't watch Schindler's List when I was in second grade, but I did start to learn about this horrific history that affected my, you know, uh, affected other Jews and, I don't know, gave me a foundation for which to build my knowledge. And so I think it is important. And I don't think you are too young. You know, we're, we're teaching incorrect, you know, um, Fake news history. I don't know. That's Fake not what history. I... Yeah. Alyssa, but like we're teaching something that's factually incorrect. And instead yeah. of setting a, a proper foundation for understanding, we're teaching false facts. Right. I mean, listen. Yeah. Like there is a way to teach this. When I was young, you know, they teach second graders about Hitler and about the Holocaust and about World War II. Um, you know, it's as simple as saying this person was a very bad man. And then you continue to expound on that. Like you're not teaching a second grader about raping and pillaging, but you can teach that to a seventh grader. So, you know, it's like we don't we don't have to look at this like, oh, well, uh, you know, what are we going to teach young kids? You know, is it inappropriate? You know, like we are not part of our education system is not just to teach students about good things. It's to teach students about horrible things. It's to teach students about, um, you know, why Hitler was wrong and why the Nazis were bad and why Christopher Columbus was bad and why slavery was bad. Um, You know, like there are ways to do this starting early on from kindergarten in the easy manner. Christopher Columbus is somebody who we used to consider to be a good person. But now that we've understood the the more deeper history about it, we realize that he is problematic and he was a bad person. And then you expand on that in third grade to give a little more details about uh, why he was bad. And then in seventh grade, you get to the the pillaging. And then in ninth grade, you talk about the rape. Are you building a curriculum, Melissa? <laughs> I am building a curriculum. There's so, you know, we do this in many other areas when we talk about, you know, all kinds of other people, so there's no reason we can't do it in this respect also. You tell no lie. I see no lie, guys. We do have a caller on the line. Barry, let your voice be heard. Yes, this is Barry. I'm calling uh, Stanley. You gave a pretty good backdrop on Columbus facade. And um, i like to say also add, if there's anything else to add to that, is that the Hollywood depiction of the Indians over here was like uh, Stanley had mentioned the Chinese uh, 
along with the uh, Columbus, they got to get, you know, they got together, the Italians, they got together and formed this here little depiction of uh, the Redskins, you know, and so that was part of it. However, it's like also where is sometimes we, you know, we say that the, 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 the indigenous folks over here are the Mexicans and so forth, but those are the descendants of the, the black indigenous that was raped over here by the priests and uh, the Italians over here. Uh, and I notice sometimes when we speak about this, people seem to trip off on to Hitler. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but let's talk about Mussolini because he, he, he exterminated almost like uh, 4 million uh, uh, Ethiopians when he went over there. You know what, Barry? Thank you for calling in. I think you make a good point that we have the tendency to kind of highlight specific people and erase the stories of others, good and bad. And Mussolini absolutely was a terrorist in the sense that he was just as bad in many ways as Hitler. I don't know much about his history besides the fact that most people thought of him to be an idiot. So I don't want to I don't want to go too deep into that. But I do appreciate you bringing it up for, for the listeners here. Yeah, there was another thing that I thought I caught in there, which, um, you know, I I think we should address, which is the issue also of sexualized violence um, against Native Americans, um, which is something obviously that doesn't get talked about a lot um, because, you know, like people don't like to raise these points when it comes to like women being taken advantage of, even though women are taken advantage of all the time. Uh, But nobody likes to talk about that. So, you know, a lot of these people who did come over, not only were there a massive amount of genocide committed, not only did they spread disease, um, there was also a lot of these white explorers that uh, raped um, women of color and native women. Um, and so, you know, even to the point where there was a term for mixed race, part native, uh, babies that people think of sort of in a good way. Um, but you know, it's also important for us, you know, when we talk about these issues to not just focus on, uh, the way in which the men or native Americans were treated generally, but also to realize that, um, the women, native women were treated extremely horrible by people who came here, uh, to the new world. And that is another thing that often gets overlooked in this conversation because of course anytime there's violence against women it seems to get overlooked um and we don't want to overlook that either yeah so um thank you for that comment he also brought the comment about the washington redskins the washington football team thank you the washington football team and the argument the debate to change that name why haven't we changed that name yet? Because that that the name of the team that I said earlier, it actually means a dead indigenous person. Right. I mean, why? The, <laughs> listen to our show from two weeks ago where we talked about the NFL and its many many problems. I mean, but um, it's not just the NFL. Look at the look at the Indians, the Cleveland Indians that yeah. are playing baseball right now in this series. We were noticing this the other night. Has anybody ever seen the logo yeah, it's, on yeah, their yeah. hat? It's like crazy racist, and yet it doesn't get the kind of traction that the Washington football team's name does. Yeah, it does because, like, baseball kind of has a lower profile because mostly white people watch it and me. So, <laughs> you know, people don't, no one makes a big fuss about it. But we, we just like 
institutionalized racism towards black people and sexism and patriarchy, like the prejudice that we have towards indigenous people, the erasure of it is deep within the bones of our institution. So once again, I give back to the space of do we need to destroy the entire institution and build up again? I mean, I think it's a matter of like, what should we do about it? How can we raise the voices of indigenous people? Um, and like, right. in my opinion, one of the ways is like we can stop celebrating Columbus Day but, and instead we can celebrate at Indigenous Peoples Day. We can take down racist monuments and put them in museums where they should be because they're history. They're not the present. And we can increase the amount of education that we give people and we tell them the truth. We don't continue to whitewash it. Those would be the three things I would say we need to do in order to fix the issues that we have right now. But does that really matter when the people in power don't want to do this and the people who with the loudest voices tend to also be the whitest faces? Well, yeah, right. but we have the ability to, to take the power into our own hands and do these things. We shouldn't be discouraged just because the white man in power isn't going to do anything. Could you imagine, like, just to play devil's advocate with you for a second, could you I imagine... I That's my favorite. I know. Like, could you imagine Martin Luther King saying, well, the white men in power aren't going to listen to us, so let's do nothing. No, of course not. He wouldn't have said that. Jackie? Yeah, I mean, I, it's... You know, I think most people probably care about celebrating Columbus Day because they get the day off of yeah, work and that's it, right? I mean... I mean, even uh, South Park spoofed that last yeah, week. Yeah, right. Um, so I, I think that we need to, at the very least, be teaching an accurate history, right? Because as we all said, this is not the history that we learn in our classes. We he heard that everything was peaceful and, you know, sort of transactional and that there was... It took a long time. It wasn't until college that I really learned the true American history. And, um, you know, I think that at the very least we should be teaching children. Obviously, as Alyssa mentioned before, I don't think we have to get into the, the nitty gritty details of everything at a very young age. But I don't think kids are too young to start learning the truth. Yeah. Right. So. Absolutely. Moving, so we do have to wrap the segment up. So I'm going to ask you guys a question. Please answer as quickly as possible. Um what are you going to do moving forward to help like bring up the stories of indigenous people, Alyssa? Um, I mean, I, I think I already sort of mentioned that, which is just, you know, like continue to educate people. Um, at least for me, it's like when I encounter people saying things on the Internet or even in real life um, that are problematic or incorrect, I try and correct them, but I don't try and correct them by coming at them and being like, you're wrong. Because I feel like that doesn't really get through to people. People don't like to be told they're wrong. Um, you know, I try and come at it from a different way and say, you know, listen, you may have been taught that, but let me break down to you some of the actual facts about what happened this way. You know, you got to sort of. Sometimes you can't just hit people with you're wrong, you know, like you got to come at it from sort of the perspective of like, I heard you out, but you know, like some of the things you just said are problematic and here's the truth, um, you know, and like just try and change the narrative around it. Jackie? Jackie? Yeah, Ooh, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, I think. <laughs> I think listening to people and it, as Stanley mentioned, um, it's unfortunate that we couldn't have our guests on the show today to uplift their voice. But I think listening to people's experiences and coming at them from a place of compassion and understanding and not trying to tell people that their history is wrong and, you know, like advocating for better education. Right. Yeah. I mean, and also I will honor this, this movement by advocating for more funding for public schools to yeah. teach an accurate curriculum on this issue. So one of the things that we do in my office is we have an indigenous people's day potluck in which like we just talk about indigenous people and then we eat awesome food. 
and then usually we have no plate for white people because they don't have a dish. <laughs> but, you know, I'm just being petty <laughs> when I say that. But I, what I do want to say is that one of the ways that we can bring up the voices of indigenous people while erasing Christopher Columbus's is to talk about those people, talk about their cultures, talk about their joys, talk about their victories, talk about their sadness, talk about them so that we can know them and understand who they were. And even in year, hundreds of years before we ever existed, they were well ahead of their time. Let me give you an example. So what you probably don't know is that a lot of native tribes were actually matriarchal instead of patriarchal societies so what that means is that you were descended from your mother's clan not your father's it was also meant that women were involved in the decision-making process for the greater good of the tribe they were war chiefs and they were the leaders they were seen as the strongest force in the community because of their ability to give life imagine if we followed their process instead of had the one that we had here today might be a different country might be a different space but with that being said guys learn your history and when you finish learning your true history learn the history of others because if you do not there's always an opportunity for the institution of white supremacy to erase it this is let your voice be heard and we are back so gerrymandering i'm sure you heard of it um i'm not really going to get into too much about what it is because i'm going to presume you know but to give you just the briefer it's basically when uh politicians cut districts just to match up with their own party so that they can always win elections um it has become an increasingly big problem um, and has led to unequal elections and parties being able to stack the deck in their favor to hold on to districts it is anti-democratic um and it goes against all of our values as americans in the concept of one person having one vote. Uh, So what am I talking about? I am talking about a really important case that is going or is in the Supreme Court right now. It is called Gill versus Whitford. It is about extreme political gerrymandering. And the outcome of the case is going to possibly have a big impact about how districts are drawn moving forward. How did this case come about? Well, in 2010, for the first time in over 40 years, Wisconsin voters elected a Republican majority in the state assembly and in the Senate and a Republican governor. It just so happened that 2010 was also the year that the census was done. So it was the year that districts are redrawn. Who redraws those maps? Well, in Wisconsin, they do not have a bipartisan commission that redraws those maps. Instead, it is the state assembly, the state Senate and the governor that are responsible for creating those maps. So what happened? As a result of the fact that Republicans had won everything, the Republican leadership developed a voting district map that its drafters calculated would allow Republicans to maintain their majority under any likely voting scenario. You heard me say that right. Any likely voting scenario, Mm -hmm. meaning they could not lose no matter how badly people did not like them. No matter how many bad things they did in office, they literally could not lose. So what did they do? They promptly drew a map for the state assembly that helped Republicans convert very close statewide vote totals into lopsided legislative majorities where only Republicans could win. The plan for redistricting was introduced in July of 2011, and both the Senate and the assembly passed the bill. The governor signed it in August of 2011. Even before the plan was enacted, the plan faced two legal challenges on constitutional and statutory grounds. And a federal court had originally upheld the plan as not violating the one person, one vote principle, nor did it violate the Equal Protection Clause. In 2012, after the redistricting, Republicans won 48 
1.6% of the statewide vote for assembly candidates, but they captured 60 of the assembly's 99 seats, which means they did not even win half the vote, but yet they won more than half of the seats in the assembly. Thereafter, Democratic voters sued. They said that the maps violated the Constitution. They continued that, contended that the new plan sought to dilute Democratic votes across state, state lines using two methods. One of them, called cracking, divides up supporters of one party among different districts so that they do not form a majority in any districts. And the second form is called packing, in which it puts large members of a party supporters in relatively few districts where they can win by large margins. The plaintiffs in the case challenged the plan as unconstitutional partisan gerrymandering. At issue was whether the plan systemically and systematically dilutes the voting change of Democratic voters statewide. So, as I said, the Supreme Court decided they were going to hear this case um, and that they were going to review the lower court's decision. There was five questions presented before the Supreme Court. The first question was whether the lower court erred in holding that it had the authority to hear this challenge rather than requiring a district-by-district analysis. Number two was whether the district court made a mistake in holding that the redistrict plan was an uh, unconstitutional gerrymander. Number three, did the district court use the incorrect test in determining whether the gerrymander was unconstitutional? Number four, are defendants entitled to present evidence that they would have prevailed under the gerrymander test actually used by the district court? And number five, whether or not the gerrymander partisan claims are actually justiciable, which means whether they're able to be heard by the Supreme Court. Um, So those were the five questions that the court has to answer. So they heard oral arguments last week. They were really interesting. Justice Ginsburg called this case the most uh, controversial and the most, uh, um, I want to say, like the the. Consequential. Consequential. Thank you for uh, for helping me out there. Consequential case of the term. Uh, There was some consensus among the justices that the voting maps drawn by politicians give an advantage to parties are an unattractive feature of American democracy. But the justices appeared to be split, of course, on conservative liberal lines about whether or not the court could find a standard in determining when the practice. Even though he saw gerrymandering as a problem, he thought if they struck this down, it could seem like the Supreme Court was on the side of Democrats. Whereas if they upheld this, the Supreme Court could be seen on the side of Republicans, which means Justice Roberts was sort of saying, I don't know if the Supreme Court could get in, should get involved in this at all because the Supreme Court really is not supposed to be involved in uh political disputes. But on the other hand, Justice Ginsburg was like, this is really anti-democratic. And if the Supreme Court does not get involved, then partisan politics will continue to be at play when it comes to determining districts. The Supreme Court has never, ever, ever in its entire term, um, in entire existence, I should say, struck down an election map on the ground that it was drawn to make sure one political party wins an outsized number of seats. The court has, however, left open the possibility that there are some kinds of political gamemanship in redistricting that may be too extreme. The problem, as Justice Kennedy wrote in 2004, is that nobody has ever devised a workable standard to decide when a political gerrymander has crossed the line from being constitutional into unconstitutional. Um, In fact, at the oral arguments on Tuesday, he pressed Aaron Murphy, who was the lawyer for Wisconsin, about whether the state law could require drawing districts to have a maximum number of votes for any given political party. She could not answer that question. 
In what I think may be the most telling thing about how the Supreme Court decides, Justice Breyer, in his remarks that there may have been uh, may have been aimed at Justice Kennedy, actually sketched out a series of criteria he said amounted to a quote unquote workable standard. He said that courts should only act when there is one party control of the state government and a map creates a persistent and unjustified partisan advantage and that it is, quote unquote, an extreme outlier when compared to other maps. Um, he obviously was saying that because he was trying to develop a sort of workable standard in order to convince Justice Kennedy that he could rule that extreme partisan gerrymanders are unconstitutional and he could do so in some kind of legal framework that would not be so partisan. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see how this comes out, because on one hand, if the Supreme Court rules that these maps were not unconstitutional, meaning they were constitutional, then that is going to open up the door for many, many, many other states creating crazy partisan maps, um, which will make it much, much harder usually for Democrats to be able to win elections because of the way Republicans have been able to control state government. Mm. On the other hand, if the Supreme Court comes out and says that these maps are unconstitutional, that is going to open up the door to many more challenges depending on what the standard is. So if the standard is full state control, that means that only states that have one party control of, of government um, are going to be able to make these challenges. And and the way that's going to be play out is a state like New York, where, as we know, in theory is bipartisan controlled, but we know in reality sort of isn't because of the independent Democrats, they would not be able to challenge maps as unconstitutional. But a state like North Carolina, which there was a great article coming out of The Nation magazine written by Barry Gielman a couple of weeks ago, um, basically breaking down just how partisan it is because they actually have a governor uh, who is a Democrat, they too would not be able to challenge that partisan gerrymander. It would basically, if Justice Breyer's standard is adopted, all branches of government would have to be in control of one part or the other mm. in order to, um, you know, bring a challenge. So it's going to be really which interesting, is which is rare. So it's going to be really interesting not only to see how this plays out, but also to see what the standard is that the Supreme Court lays out, because that is going to dictate whether it is going to be easy to challenge partisan gerrymanders or whether it's going to be very difficult. Um, so, you know, very, very interesting about yeah. what's going to happen next. That is pretty interesting. It's going to be a, a hot a hot case. So, guys, we have to wrap this up. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you want to hear the show or pre previous shows, you can check us out on podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. We'll be publishing this episode tomorrow morning. Next up is Gregory and the Underdog Show. I can't take back.